Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota in Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love. Well, howdy, everybody. This is John Michael Talbot. Do you ever feel like you're grasping things, that you're all tight? Guess what? You can open your hands in what's called mendicancy. Open hands, empty and open for what Jesus wants to give you. All things are possible with God. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back. We're going through Monk Dynasty. And we've been going through all kinds of various movements, the monastic movements of people who were radical and on fire for Jesus. And this particular program, we want to look at mendicants. Mendicant, what's that? Boy, that sounds like a doctor or some kind of professional. No, it's a, it goes back to a Latin word that means open-handed open-handed. So around about the 13th century, uh, there were all kinds, there was a charismatic movement, a movement of the Spirit among people who were just called penitents. The word penitent goes back to metanoia. Meta, with, noia, goes back to nous in Greek, means with the mind, to turn around. So there was this huge revival happening in the 12th and 13th century, and people were going off and giving their lives to Christ. They were becoming hermits. They were going out and going into solitude and silence in radical poverty. And then there were itinerant preachers that began to travel around. And it was in this environment. So what about, you know, we have an environment like that too, don't we? We got a charismatic renewal too, don't we? We got a work of the Spirit today, don't we? So The mendicant revival happened in the midst of an environment of the Spirit, something that was happening already, see, and it rose up. The great names that we think of that are associated with this, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Dominic, the whole Augustinian movement in the Western Church, and the Carmelites, they were all birthed and came forth from this charismatic movement. So let's take a look at St. Francis of Assisi. 
Francis was born in 1181. He died in 1226. So that's the late 12th and the early 13th century. I've done two books on St. Francis. One is called The Lessons of St. Francis. It was a bestseller. The other is called uh, Reflections on St. Francis. It's kind of my favorite. Didn't sell as well. But I love St. Francis. And I could go on and on and on. We might even do a whole series on St. Francis later. But I want to just touch on a few things. The first thing that happened with St. Francis, he came from a wealthy background. His dad was a cloth merchant. He saw that his dad has worked his way from being poor to being rich, and he was still miserable. And he had entered into the, to the new economy that was happening in the 13th century. Instead of just bartering, they all, they, with it being offset by coins, they began using money as their primary means of exchange. And Francis's dad used this system. He went from the minority to the majority, from the poor to the rich. And he was still miserable. And Francis says, you know what? Man, we can find freedom and happiness and blessedness staying minority. We don't have to become consumed by consumerism, possessed by our possessions. We can break free of this. So there were three things that happened. The first is poverty. He, he heard the scripture, for, you know, go sell what you have and come back and follow me. And the, and the biographers say that Francis was no forgetful listener. He heard it, baby. He read it in scripture, bang, and he did it. He didn't make excuses. He didn't rationalize the scripture. He didn't soften the hard edges. He let those hard edges pierce his heart. So he went out and he gave everything up to follow Jesus. He embraced poverty. This was already going on, but he heard it in a special way. He was also a man of prayer. Francis was rooted in prayer. It's in prayer that we have this personal relationship with Jesus. It is in prayer that the power, the dynamite, the dunamis of the Spirit is fired up in our life. So he moved into hermitages. He went into solitude. He spent hours and hours stripping himself or letting the Spirit strip him of his ego, of his pride, of his grasping. See, his grasping onto the things of the world. He let, he let God strip him naked of all this stuff. And he began to read the Word of God, the Scriptures, and meditate especially on the words of Jesus. Not rationalizing, not being fanatical, but learning how to be radical. And then he had something to share. So Francis stirred up this relationship with Jesus. And then he began to go out and preach. And folks, Francis preached. And the whole Franciscan movement preached. 50,000 people at a time. Wow. Wow. So they had poverty, prayer, and preaching. And he cared for the poor. He used to go to the leper colonies and wash their sores. Part of the formation of his first disciples, his first Franciscan brothers, he had, they had to go live with the lepers to beat that fear. Oh, I might get it. Oh, I might get infected. I might become sick like them. He said, no. Go minister to them. And he found freedom. 
So the Franciscan movement took off. It spread. This was the pattern. He started hermitages where they would go and pray, and then they would embrace poverty. They weren't rich institutions. And then they would go out, and they would preach, and they would bring the ministry of Jesus Christ. And folks, it spread across Europe like a wildfire, like a wildfire. What about you and me today? Do we take the time to have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Do we allow the gospel of Jesus to strip us of our consumerism, our materialism, being possessed by possessions, being consumed by what we consume, to get free, not because the world is bad, but because we often use it badly. Then we have a message to bring. See, Francis is calling us, you and me, today, to do the same thing in our situation, in our culture, in our time. The world needs Jesus. Dominic, St. Dominic Guzman, he lived from 1170 to 1221 A.D., and uh, he had a similar vision. He had a similar vision. His was a little... Dominic was a little more uh, organized <laughs> than Francis. You know, they were mainly clerics. He, they were called the Order of Preachers. But like Francis, Dominic said it's got to be rooted in prayer. So the Dominicans were really rooted in contemplative prayer and reading the Word of God, learning the Word of God, and then going out and preaching against people who were drifting into error because they weren't properly trained. So his first mission, this is kind of cool, in in the program on the 11th century reforms, we talked about the Cistercians. Well, Dominic didn't have any Dominican brothers. So the Cistercians helped him out. And they went out and they went out and preached with him again, rooted in prayer and overflowing. Then pretty soon, Dominic had sisters that joined in his vision was the friars would preach. The sisters would be this prayer anchor of contemplative prayer. So wherever there would be preachers, there would also be sisters. He also learned to embrace the poverty of St. Francis. There's a cute little story that the Franciscans had what was called a chapter of mats. Some 5,000 Franciscan friars gathered below the city of Assisi, down by what is now called the Porciuncula, which was one of the places he rebuilt. 5,000 friars. He didn't make any accommodation for what they were going to eat. He didn't have anything to take care of them. That's a lot of people. Dominic happened to come to that chapter because Dominic and Francis were friends. And Dominic says, Francis, Francis, you have not been wise. You have not taken care of these 5,000 guys. Francis says, God will provide. At that time, the people from Assisi come down from the village, bringing them food and drink and helping them to have a place to sleep and roofs to sleep under. (laughs) What about you and me? Well, we have to plan. We have to be wise, right? But we don't need to be worried. We ought to be open to the surprises that Jesus wants to bring in our life. So Francis and Dominic. It's said that uh, Dominic wanted the two communities, the Franciscans and the Dominicans, to become one community. Francis had the wisdom to go, no, we should be cousins. We should be brothers. But we have two different callings. 
and it said that Francis gave his cord to Dominic, and Dominic always wore that Franciscan cord under his Dominican habit till the day he died. What about us? Are we ready to preach to the world? You can't preach what you don't possess. You can't give what you don't have. Francis and Dominic are calling from the 13th century. Do you and I have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Have we allowed ourselves to be stripped so that we possess only Jesus? Now we have something to give to the world. All things are possible with God. See you back here. We're going to look for the Augustinians and the Carmelites and the future orders that came after them. Nothing trouble you And let nothing frighten you For everything passes But God will never change Welcome back. John Michael Talbot here. We're talking about the mendicant movement of the 13th century and what that has to say to us today in the 21st century. Again, the word mendicant 
means open-handed. We looked at St. Francis and St. Dominic, both who embraced poverty and prayer. Poverty, the gospel poverty, to let go and let God, to stop grasping, to stop clinging, to stop hanging on, and to just relax and open our hands in poverty. The hands are empty. Now, God and God alone can fill us up. When you have that, now you have something to share with the world. Well, this thing was so powerful. Again, it was a charismatic movement. It was, a, it was the charismatic move of the Holy Spirit of the 13th century. Literally, it was a tidal wave. And there were all kinds of new religious communities. France, Franciscans and Dominicans, probably the most popular, and those that are thought of most frequently. But it also included a group called the Augustinians. Now, the Augustinians used the rule of St. Augustine, but they didn't have a continuity that went all the way back to St. Augustine. It really kind of, there was a time when a few communities used the Augustinian rule uh, through history and stayed alive, but the Augustinians themselves were really a product of the 13th century. Again, they were individual groups scattered around mainly Italy at that point in time, but really all over Europe. And they were hermits and groups of hermits, small groups, and groups of hermits that ministered to the poor, groups of hermits that went out, a few of them, and preached to the people. And they weren't really growing because they were all scattered. So around 1243 or so, they started forming and recognizing each other. And around 12, oh, let me see, I think it's 1256, they had a thing called the Grand Union. A cardinal archbishop of the church looked at these groups that were out there, and they were, they were kind of struggling and not getting anywhere. And he said, you know, if we put these guys together, now we have a force. So he affected Cardinal, uh, I believe his name was Anibaldi, and he said, let's bring them together in the Grand Union, and a whole new force was formed. What does that say to us? A lot of times we have little groups here, little groups there, this community, that community, this ministry, that ministry, and we're kind of beating our heads against the wall. Guess what? Sometimes getting together is powerful. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there is he in, he is, is Jesus in our midst, huh? Right? See, so there's strength and unity. Jesus says when we're unified, the world will believe that the Father sent him. And if we're divided and all trying to do our own thing through egotism and hanging on to our vision as if it's ours, a lot doesn't get done. So we got to learn how to cooperate with each other. The Carmelites are another group from that time period, and I think they're really cool. They're the only religious community in the Western Church that has what's called a semi-aromedical rule. Sem- it's almost like, well, is it is it semi-sweet chocolate? <laughs> Aromedical. What is that? Is that a herm or is that a termite? I don't know. These are big words. It means that they lived a social hermit life together. So they grouped together in groups with individual hermit cells. The word cell is where we get celestial, so it means where heaven and earth meet. Isn't that cool? The hermit cell is where heaven and earth come together, and they were grouped around a chapel and a common building where they would come together and pray a few times a day and have a common meal. 
So they lived in the Holy Land on Mount Carmel, which if, if, for those of you that have been to the Holy Land, it's above Haifa today. And uh, they have some wonderful, there's some wonderful pictures of, of how they lived, uh, uh, showing that they were this semi-aromedical group. But the, they had an encounter with the Muslims. The Crusades were happening, wasn't going the Crusaders' way. So the Carmelites had to flee, and they came to Italy. And when they came to Italy, again, the church had the wisdom to say, you know what? We have this thing happening over here. This is, there's this wave of the Holy Spirit happening, and it's this mendicant movement. Maybe you guys and gals can re, kind of reorganize and use that, like Francis of Assisi has, like Dominic has like some of the Augustinians have, like other groups have, and they did. So they became a mendicant movement or a mendicant community as well. Again, they embraced radical poverty, and then they began to go out and to preach, to preach. One of the great reforms that we can think of from the Carmelite community is the Theresian Reform, St. Teresa of Avila. And this comes from Spain, they had spread out, but they, like many communities, had kind of uh, got a little funky, so they needed reform and refiring. What about us? Don't we at times need time for revival in our life? <laughs> don't we need to be reformed? I don't know about you. I start off on a good path, and then I begin to stray. I begin to kind of get soft. I begin to get a little lazy in my spiritual life, and I have to come back to being on fire for Jesus. Well, the Theresian Reform is a good example of reforms that have happened in all the communities, and they remind us about our communities and about our spiritual life. Well, this whole mendicant movement <clears throat> took the monastery to the world. <laughs> so people left the world to go to the monasteries. Now, all of a sudden, they are bringing the monastic monos for God and God alone. They are bringing it back to the world. They are changing the world. And a whole new explosion of religious communities begin to happen in the church. Now I'm going to go through a couple of things real fast. I have them written down here if you don't mind. They go from communities with what are called solemn vows, which means they pray their choir, their divine office together in church. And they keep the cloister. And the sisters had to stay cloistered. That's a whole other discussion. Back in those days, it was partially for their own protection. Because going out and ministering was extremely dangerous, especially for women in the 13th century. But then come sisters that say, well, we want to go out and minister too. So the sisters started, who were part of these movements, they began to go out and they had what were called simple vows. So suddenly the sisters are out in the world bringing the gospel changing things. And some of the brothers really begin to do the same thing. Then come societies of the apostolic life. These are people who did not have to pray the divine office together in choir. Uh, they could pray the, the divine office. They could pray the Psalter on the run, on the go, as they were out ministering. They could open up their, their Psalter and pray the Psalms. And then came secular institutes, people that weren't part of communities but took the religious vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but they were out in the world, consecrated with vows uh, as part of, of, of what's called consecrated life, 
but they didn't live in community. Today, there's a whole new movement of mixed communities. Communities that specific, that they're not a spiritual family with a male branch and a female branch. It's one community, one formal community with a male and a female expression. And then the general council is made up of men and women. Today, too, we have new things happening with integrated communities. I'm part of the integrated expression. There are new communities being raised up by the Spirit in the church. And these communities include nuns, monks, singles who can marry, and families. All who live in one integrated uh, monastic or consecrated expression. We all take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but in a way that's appropriate to our state of life conjugal chastity or celibate chastity. And then there are lay people associated with us all over the country, all over the country. And we call them domestics. We feel that the domestic expression is a powerful thing because we want them to be pockets of power in parishes, to to gather together in little cell groups in parishes, and then they go out and they bring the gospel and they keep the parishes alive. So that's a real fast sweep from the 13th century to our century. What about us? Are we open-handed? Open up your hands. Empty them. Do it right now. Let go. Let God. Don't hang on. Let Jesus and Jesus alone fill us up. Let's pray together. I want you to open your hands in front of you. Let go of anything you're hanging on to and pray, Jesus, I empty myself. I open myself completely before you today. Fill us up in a way that only you can do. Jesus, fill us and now send us forth into this world to change it. Help us to embrace prayer and gospel poverty and then let us preach and minister with our whole life. All things are possible with God. I love you guys. See you next time. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit Exalts in God my Savior For He has looked With mercy on my loneliness And my name will be Forever exalted For the mighty God Has done great things for me And His mercy will reach from age to age. Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at breadboxmedia.com.